So Valentine just passed away. I am currently sitting in a room with way too much echo and I should not be recording here, but you know what? F them rules. We're breaking some today, all right? We're always breaking rules when it comes to sound on this, on this podcast because as much as we care about sound quality, sometimes we are just willing to say, fuck it. Today is about consideration. And while I haven't been considerate to your ear, who knows, maybe after editing, I might sound considerate. But while I haven't been considerate to your ear, this episode is about consideration, particularly consideration in the act of relationship and love. Disclaimer, what you're about to listen to is the work and production of Daniel Briggs Adisa, the host of the Water Times with Daniel podcast. Most of what you're about to hear is opinion-based unless stated otherwise. I am not an authority in most of the fields that I will be addressing. These are mostly opinions, so take them with a grain of salt. But I do beg you to listen. They are fun. You will learn the thing. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, good whatever time of the day you are listening to this. And welcome to another episode of Volatile Times with Daniel. Volatile Times with Daniel. Follow I, okay, I don't know what to do after that, so let's just move on. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed Valentine's. And for single Pringles like I, who had absolutely no Valentine and so absolutely no action, we survived. See, we didn't die. We, we literally didn't die. Anyway, I hope some of us got out of the friend zone. If you still do not know that the friend zone is just a deadly that you holding you down, go and listen to my previous episode on rethinking the friend zone. But today, we are talking about the greatest, or maybe not the greatest, the best relationship advice you've ever heard. Now, a little bit of the caveat, there's supposed to be a media introduction into this, like it was a TikTok video of one guy who... Honest to me, looked like I said he was too young to be married, but he was probably older than he looked. So we're not going to delve into ageism, right? We don't do that here. And he was talking about how he loves his wife, how he's able to be there. And the video was so touching. The video was so awesome. I thought I had it saved, but I did not. And I can't find the tweet under which I found it. So I'm just going to give you my own thoughts and my own breakdown of what that advice is. And... Without further ado, thank you for listening. Hope you're subscribed. Let's get into this. So while this might be a little bit of a stretch to say it is the best relationship advice that you ever hear or that you've ever been given, I do think it's a very big prominent one that probably keys into almost every good relationship advice that you get. And when I say good relationship advice, I don't mean good relationship advice that ensures that you always end up getting the profit and the benefit of that relationship alone. But I'm talking about good relationship advice that ensures that every single person participating in the industry, in the system of relationship, romantic relationship, and family building that you guys are, both people are enjoying themselves. So this advice is based on the concept of consideration. If I remember what he was saying in the video correctly, it was something along the lines of how it's in the little things, but it wasn't just about it being little, but genuinely that it is in the things you do not notice, 
for the things that are of great importance to your partner. So the example he gave is that there was a day he came home from work. He works as a construction worker, I think. He was dead tired, but he also knew that his wife was going to be having a ridiculously stressful the next day due to a bunch of activities that were about to come up. And he knew that one of the major snacks that she would like to get to take along was one certain fruit that apparently is very, very difficult to peel and remove the seeds. And despite how tired he was, in consideration of his wife's discomfort, coming discomfort the next day, and him trying to alleviate some of the stress from her, he took out the time to peel out the seeds in that fruit and prepare them and package them so that his wife can be able to take them to work the next day. And he was doing this with so much joy, it was intoxicating. I wish I was married to him, to be honest. Because, like, he had this beautiful, lovely smile on his face that showed he was happy, knowing that despite the stress of what he was doing, him doing this would end up helping his wife and would end up making her happy, right? And he said, and there's something he said, which I've heard from almost every guy that lives or says one version of what I'm talking about. He said, this is a little thing compared to all the big things she does for me. Not even all the big things, just all the other things she does for him. And I think this is one thing that I've realized tends to be a thing of contention between the genders. Many times whenever people are talking about what do you bring to the table or something along those lines, men would usually capitalize on the fact that, you know, majority of men are expected to take up the majority of the financial body in a relationship, especially in dating and more so especially in marriage, right? And so due to the level of work and effort that it will take to even be able to uphold themselves to that kind of standard, uh, they will say, this is what I bring to the table and it, and it contributes to so much that goes on to the relationship. And they are right. It does, especially if you're building a family together, a home together, it does. And even if it is not so, you're just dating, do you know how important money actually is to dating? And I don't mean about buying gifts for each other, but nowadays, most of us will not live close to the person that we are dating. So to be able to see, we should be able to afford the transportation there. We should be able to afford, you know, the data or the call card that it will take to constantly converse and call the person. We should be able to afford, you know, one or two things that we can send to our loved ones that could alleviate some of their stress. Money is important to all of those things, right? Even your own personal well-being. If you have money to take care of yourself, they have money to take care of themselves. Both of you will constantly be in better moods and good health to be able to even, uh, I don't know, partner up together, right? Money is important. So I would not be here downplaying the necessity the essence and also the contribution that the financial struggle of men bring into families. But also, I am going to say more than one thing can be true at the same time. Usually people say two things can be true at the same time, but I'm about to list a bunch of things. So uh, permit me to say more than one thing can be true at the same time. Many times, and I'm going to take this more so into the later um, part of marriage, or should I say the next step in the evolution of marriage, which is childbirth and child rearing. I don't like how we say that, but child raising feels cringe. So anyway, let's be very, very honest. Kids are expensive. Living and surviving just as a two-person household, being supported financially majorly by one person, 
is already such a difficult thing to do. Then you add one child. I'm not even talking about a litter like people that go on to have three and five. I'm talking about just one. One of those rugrats in your house, you are responsible for them. It is first off, and even before the baby is here, you have already spent thousands, right? You've already spent so much just in preparation for their coming. That's if, if you even have access to those resources. And then, then they come and then all they do is just eat money and eat money. And they don't just eat money, they eat into your social life. They eat into your mental health. They eat into your physical health. They eat into everything. Children are expensive, and I'm not just talking about money. But here's the thing. We know for a fact, majority of the child caring is done mostly by the female or the uh, wife acting person in the house, right? We do have the odd case where it is the husband who takes up most of those duties. But generally speaking, it's usually the wife, the woman who ends up doing most of the child raising we are doing most of the child caring and child upbringing. It is a lot. So most of the time you end up having women alone doing, especially when the baby is like a toddler or a baby. Most fathers tend to have slightly more activity in their children's life when they are, when they are integer. Did I just call teenagers integers? Oh my God. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Most fathers tend to have a little bit more participation in their children's lives, especially when they are teenagers. Now, whether that is positive or negative, I'll leave for you, I'll leave for you to decide. But majority, even then, even then, even do, even still up or still then, women are still doing majority of the things. I, most of you know I'm a teacher. I was taking a uh, data census on most of our students, especially the new incoming ones trying to, you know, get some parental details, guardian details, personal details, all those things, some preferences. And the majority of the parents that I had their contacts left behind by most of those students were their mothers. Only in a class of, I think, 20, only two provided their mother. Two. Ratio two to nine. Sorry, 2 to 19. No, 2 to 18. I'm studying math and I'm a math teacher. Oh my God. But anyway, ratio of 2 to 18. That's mad. That's mad. And here's the funny thing. It wasn't that, oh, that was just the preference. Most of them actually knew absolutely no contact details for their father. Of the amount of people who put down their mothers, right, which is 18, only like, I can't remember accurately now, but let's say it's not more than four. No, actually, it's not more than three who knew contact details for their father. Most of them didn't know their father's email. Most of them didn't know their father's phone number. Only those five out of the out of the 20 knew the contact details of their fathers. And still then, the mothers was the preferred one to lay down in their schools. Because this is not even their first school, right? They've been to other schools, so they know the drill. I only know to the maximum of two fathers in my five to six years of teaching that were actively, actively and physically involved in their children's education. And I'm not about to say, oh, women are much more involved. Most parents generally are not that involved in their parents' education if you want to keep it a buck. Most parents have absolutely no experiential 
history in the progression of their children's education. It's just not a thing, at least from my observation. I'm sure there's some data that could disprove me. But this is my experiences, and also this is an opinion podcast. I don't know why you're here thinking I'm like always going to be quoting from some data. Anyway, moving on, right? All of this is a lot. And then you still have some of those women in this age that we are in nowadays will go to work, will do some of the physical and emotional labor of taking care of the home, right? Will do all these extra efforts that usually the man isn't even witness to. And I get the anger when we equate all of that. They also go to work most of the time nowadays and then do all this, what is called the second unpaid job of a wife. And we take all of that and equate it to the only job of financing that the husband usually does. And it can be infuriating to do that because it feels like we're diminishing. And I think it is us diminishing the efforts of wives and mothers and how much it is that they actually contribute to running a household, many of which can't really be outsourced. So the advocacy for men to be, you know, even much more involved is a lot. Genocide is a lot, which is why I always find men who think this way, think this way of consideration is always fascinating and always a beautiful sight to behold. Right. He gave some example of different times that he's realizing his wife does some things in some ways that actually makes it easier for him to get up in the morning, to go to work and different things like that. Uh, taking away from the romantic relationship says in Elizabeth, actually, not even really taking away. It's still actually part of it. Some of you might not like this next example I'm about to give. Guess what? No, no, no. Take a guess. It's not my business. <laughs> I will give the example I want to give. <laughs> okay. So I watched BLs, which is Boy Love, you know, for those who do not know. It is essentially gay shit, but not American LGBT Netflix type gay shit. It's it's just an entire genre of things, okay? If you're a manga fan, you're like a really deep manga fan. You know about BLs, yeah. So you know about our shoulder shoes, you know about doji shoes. So nobody come for me, okay? Anyway, so I'm currently watching this BL. It's called Cherry Magic, but it's the thigh, um, the Taiwanese adaptation of it, which I've seen the Japanese adaptation of it, and both are really good. The Thai focuses more on the cinematic aspects to it, I think, and they are really, really really beautiful shots of the two male leads who are also also going to end up in a re relationship together. But anyway, what does this have to do with our topic? In the whole series, we see two major times where people are being considered. Majority of the series is these two guys actually being so considerate of people, right? But they also have aspects to themselves where they help out other people just in a bit to help. And it always, always reduces the stress, but nobody actually knows that they do it. So the very first one is with Ashi. I think that's how you pronounce his name, Ashi. And Ashi is kind of like a low-level worker, right? He's been at the office just as long as Karan. But when Karan has gone up to climb through the um, corporate um, ladder, Ashi has just remained in the same place for like the past, what, seven, 12 years. 
And you know, he's a very chill guy. He barely speaks out on everything. He feels he doesn't want to understand people. So I get it, right? Those are not the type of personalities that, that are usually rewarded. But also because of this personality of his, there are so many minor, minor things that are usually done around the office, like pens, indexes, and you know, availability of stationery, good coffee, making sure that the printer works well, uh, fumigation, okay, middle fumigation, but like, I can't list everything off the top of my head, but he does like six to 10 things around the entire office of his, of his department that makes life and makes work actually easier for everybody. So nobody ever has to worry about pens. Nobody ever has to worry about paper. Nobody ever has to come into the office in the morning and ruin their entire day by tasting shit coffee. Nobody does, right? And nobody ever got to know until one time they were doing a work activity at a work vacation place where, you know, they were paired up with people and of course, in BL style and fashion, Ashi was paired up with Karan. Ah, and the the shot of the scene of when they were they like they bumped into each other and then got into the period is so, is one of the most beautiful shots in the entire series. Okay, I'm gonna compile beautiful shots in that series that I love, and I'm just going to create like a collage of it and post on my Instagram. <laughs> anyway, uh, where was I? Yes, and so Ashi was narrating to Karan, you know, all these different things that he does, and to him it was just state of the matter. He just said it, you know, because it was just usual, right? And Karan got on stage and described Ashi and gave one of the most beautiful speech ever, highlighting every single thing that Ashi does and has done over the years that actually made the life of everybody in that office, you know, a little bit easier for them to do their job in creating a healthy and also sustainable working environment. It was built mostly on his backbone. Okay, not mostly on his backbone. That's an exaggeration. Okay, let's let, let's not exaggerate here. <laughs> but you know, she contributed a lot to those minor, minor things that we never pay attention, but actually influence our productivity. And so everybody learning that everybody looked at Ashi with such newfound wonder. Like they never actually thought about it. Nobody ever worried about pens. Nobody ever worried about finding a pencil. Nobody ever worried about how everybody else's office has shitty coffee, but we always come to good coffee in the morning. Nobody ever worried about the snacks, right? It was, so the everybody was like, oh, wow, you do that? And that is such a deep level of consideration. And he wasn't even doing it, and he never even like, complained about it or silently bragged about it to anybody because that was really not what, the reason why he was doing it. He genuinely cared for the people he was doing it for. And then we have Karan on the other side who was secretly taking care of Ashi while Ashi did all those things. Because there was this one moment where Ashi considerably, very, very much beautifully was there for him emotionally. He was an emotional pillow for him to cry into. And they barely knew each other. And that day gave Karan so much confidence for him to actually do his job and climb up the corporate ladder, right? And so even though they were constantly in the same working space, they barely had interactions together. But that one moment of consideration from Ashi so much impacted Karan because it was something he never got, right? And I'm not saying what it was about. If you are curious, go and watch it. I will turn my, my listeners into beer watchers, okay? <laughs> That's about going to happen. So, 
One day, Karan notices how much Ashi was doing in the office and then wondered who takes care of him. And don't get me wrong, this was born from uh, the obvious thing that Karan wanted to knock. But okay, if he is going to kill me because I'm oversimplifying it, but anyway, Karan just wanted to knock. But at the same time, you know, he, he, it wasn't just about knock. His heart was just doing boom, boom. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> and so, anyway, Karan started wondering about Ashi's routine, what time he got to work, how he got to work, what, what did he like doing, what are the things that he usually provides for himself, you know, that make life a little bit comfort for him what are the discomforts that he experienced what can i do to take those discomforts out and so silently and even though visibly but not noticeably karen was taking care of ashi constantly constantly throughout the entire time there and ashi didn't know ashi never knew and ashi didn't realize until he had to think about how he felt for karen and he then realizes that the time he usually gets to meet hot water, there's no hot water because Karan is not in the office. He looked at his stationery and realized, oh, there's a little bit too many, there's a little bit too little. Why? Because Karan is not at the office. The, the window curtain, slit, slide, whatever it is they call it that covers windows, that is usually down in the evening by the time he is working that blocks the sun from shining on his face and disturbing him, didn't come down today because Karan was not in the office. And he started noticing all those minor, minor things. And he found his answer. He was like, I don't care if somebody loves me this deeply. Why the hell not, right? And I think that is the one thing that always makes love much more special, especially in the way we tend to define it these days. It is through that act of consideration. Considering what exactly would actually help. Considering what exactly they would love, right? I remember I was watching one reality TV show and this girl was complaining about how this guy never buys her things she wants. And don't get me wrong, this guy is buying her luxury. This guy is buying her the best. But it was the worst because she never liked anything. She never wanted any of those. And so... We think many people watched it and were angry at her because it was like, at least appreciate what she's doing. And, and she was like, I do appreciate it. Like, I really do. But I don't have any need for that. And because it was so strange because a lot of us who are also poor, by the way, were looking at such a lens of how would you not appreciate somebody being this lavish with you? But everybody has different attachments. And everybody has different ways they want to be loved. And sometimes giving gifts is not about the expense of the gift, but actually the intention or the craftiness of the person in the gift. Sometimes the gift doesn't need to be expensive. Sometimes the gift just really needs to be that you sent a message that day. Sometimes the gift doesn't need to be you going out to the cinema, but maybe, just maybe you butter ice cream on the way from work. Or like you noticed that... There weren't a lot of tissues anymore at home, so you bought tissues. Or you notice that, oh, uh, maybe her hoodies are getting sort of, you know, faded a little bit. And you know she loves hoodies. And so you buy her a new one that she wasn't expecting, right? It's in, sometimes it's those things. Because as much as we love luxury, I think we love utility more than luxury. What would actually benefit our daily life? So you see that the washing machine that we have is an old model, you know, you could afford to buy a new one right now and 
it wouldn't eat into the finances. And so you buy a new one that is a higher model and would help her wash the clothes faster, better, and easier. So while you might not be taking up the chores in the house, which I think you should, especially in nowadays where, let's be honest, most households are a two-people household, I think the both people should also be equally contributing or almost equally contributing to the running of the household, the physical running of the household. Anyway, that one aside, it's in those little things. She didn't have to complain about the washing machine or she didn't have to complain too much about the washing machine before it was changed. And it was changed quickly, right? Because a man like that will recognize that, oh, while I do not know how to contribute in this way, or why am I not be able to be here all the time? At least I can make you being here a little bit more joyful. As a sentence for the woman, she recognizes how heavy his day is going to be, how cumbersome is that sometimes he doesn't have time to go and get something to eat. So she prepares lunch for him and also still calls him at the time of the day where he's supposed to be taking lunch to remind him to eat. Right? It's in small, small things, honestly. Uh, but also in the big things, don't get me wrong, I love big gestures sometimes, but sometimes the big gesture itself becomes the problem because it was a big gesture that never considered the person the gesture was being displayed to, right? I had a spat with some friends a while ago, and I've mentioned this on another episode, where, you know, they wanted to come and see me for something. It was it was a good, it's supposed to be a good event, a good eat, visit, reason, whatever. But it ended up being an inconvenient moment for me. It ended up, ended up being something that was, that was just unnecessary to me because it was like, it took so long. There was so much back and forth. There was so much unnecessariness, right? And so to me, it was like, I get that you guys wanted to do this for me, but at some point I was lost in the preparation of that. The consideration for how this would be of benefit to me or how this would be joyful to me, right? was no longer at play and so the focus was down on doing that thing and i think a lot of us get into that trap right where we want to do things for people and it might be things that they always loved but we do not understand that sometimes they also love those things because we are the ones doing it so this advice is not just for men it's for women also okay it's for women also be considerate be considerate to the one you love and it's not just for romantic relationships even friendships parent-child relationships student-teacher relationships sometimes, right? There is consideration in every single system or format of relationship that we are going to be engaged in whenever you call that, you know, service, customer service agent, despite you being frustrated, maybe not pour it out on that agent because they are not the source, most likely not even the solution of your problem. They are just an employee. They're just trying to survive. Okay, so before I let you go, uh, there's something else I actually like to input here. There's this question of goodwill and love that I've been, you know, ruminating on. And I might be done with the essay I'm writing on it soon. By the way, if you want to read my essays, please go and visit Substack. Find me there. It's called The Cabinet of Introspection. Or just look in the description down below. I'll be leaving a link to my profile to my post page or whatever i have ridiculously good essays written on there most of them are really really short i just posted the poem actually on valentine's day it's called this is what it feels like to be in love and from every single thing that i have heard from people who read it especially the guys 
which I was not expecting, by the way. And Rose was like, it was so captivating. Oh my God, you turned Shakespeare. Oh my God, this was beautiful to read. So go and check it out. So that when, uh, <laughs> when the essay on, so that when the essay on love and goodwill comes out, you would not be left out. Okay. So now, the question I've been considering is, is it possible to actually like somebody without actually loving them? And when I mean love, I don't mean love in the sense of romance, but I mean love in the general sense of emotion, right? We sometimes love people and we do not like them, but usually the dislike is temporary. The dislike is sometimes also accompanied by likability. Right, So sometimes it's not that we totally dislike every single thing about somebody, yet we are still able to love them, but rather that there are things we like and things that we dislike. We would not have a preference to every single aspect of them. And that is perfectly normal. That is perfectly reasonable. That is perfectly succinct. But what I'm talking about right now is actually total likability or not even total likability, total dislike. Right? Is it possible to love someone without actually liking anything about them, without anything about them being familiar, without anything about them being admirable or interesting or captivating or seducting? Nothing about them. Nothing about them pulls you to death. You like absolutely nothing. There is no aspect of themselves that you would prefer, you would recommend or choose. None whatsoever. Is it possible for that and yet to say we, we could love the person? I think for a while we have been working under that framework of it's possible, but I'm starting to think no. Because love is more than the actions. Whenever I was, whenever I was in church as a kid and I always asked about love, you know, we always give you this four great love thing. You know, the agape, the phileo, the, uh, I've forgotten the other one. Yeah, the agape, the phileo, the storge, and the eros. Uh, why did I say that? Like I said, that is actually how you pronounce them. Nobody actually knows how to pronounce them, I believe. But anyway, I'm talking about the agape. We usually say agape is the God kind of love, is the God, is the kind of love that, you know, is mostly defined by his actions, you know, where you're able to do good for somebody even though you don't really feel good towards them, something like that. And I see where that is coming from. I really just see where that is coming from. But most of the time, that feels like the act of love towards strangers, right? Where your personal relationship with that person is not a factor, not because the personal relationship is ignorable, but rather because the personal relationship doesn't exist in the first place. Because the only relationship I have to another stranger is that we are strangers. It's literally that we have no relations to each other, right? And so we can have temporary moments of cooperation. We can have temporary moments of relating, but we are never establishing an actual relationship. And most of the time, but there are rituals to create relationship among strangers, you know, we can form friendships, we can form romantic relationships, we can form um, coitus couplings, we can form employer-employee, we can form leader-followers. There are rituals in place in our society and in every society to bridge that gap of being strangers. But let's not forget, a stranger is a stranger. You know them not. 
And so you owe them usually no, no obligation, usually. So that love, in a sense, you going out of your way to help a stranger is an act of love, yes. But it's an act of goodwill. I really don't think it is. I think it is more an act of societal, communal duty, right? We are all raised most of the time with this mindset of contributing to the world in one way or the other. Yeah, and we might not be raised necessary to be generous to everybody, but in one way or the other, we all have a sense of duty to the community we live in or even the society we live in. And so this inherent or maybe socialized, ingrained grooming of the instinct to just contribute to the society. I think that's what it is. So in romantic relationships or parent-child relationships, for instance, I feel like if the acts are usually just of duty, right? It isn't love because love in those kind of places, love in friendship, love in romantic relationships, love in marriage, love in parentage, right? Requires more than just duty. It also requires goodwill. It requires goodwill. And I don't think you can have goodwill towards somebody if there is nothing about them that pulls them to you in a positive way. You can... I have so many um, examples of parents who provide everything except all the emotional care that they're actually supposed to be providing, all the actual care born from the emotional care that they're actually supposed to be providing, right? So you see these are the kids who have clean clothes. These are the kids who have all their books and textbooks ready. These are the kids who are giving a lot of money to school, you know, so that they don't starve. These are the kids who are provided with a personal chauffeur, in some sense, maybe a bike man, right? These are the kids who have expensive gadgets. They are usually always, in some material way, provided for. But these are also the children that have absolutely no confidence in their parents being on their side. These are the children who you know, who's, if their parents hear of any slight uh, mishap, right? Maybe, oh... Some people were fighting, oh, and then your son went there, you know, to kind of like help settle things out, and then they punched him in the face. The parent is automatically going to make it so that the son was actually part of the fight, right? So that the son is this unruly person. And you would be surprised how many parents genuinely will be out here testifying in ridiculous ways against their children about how unruly their children are how much of a, of, of a scandal their children are, how much wayward their children are, how their children are not meant to be believed or trusted, how they are just out to ruin things for them. You'll be so, <laughs> you'll be so goddamn surprised. Ah, oh, it is ridiculous. And whenever I look at those kind of situations, I'm like, you don't love this child. You don't love this child. Right. And it might be like, oh, but they still provide everything. But yes, they are doing an act of duty. Mostly because you nobody wants to be called a bad parent. Okay. So and it's also there might be a little bit of guilty conscience there. So they feel like, oh, if they provide so much materially, they don't have to actually be there in the other ways they're actually supposed to be there. Right. And these are the people who your cho your children grow up now, they don't want to visit them. And you constantly cry about how ungrateful kids these days are. Trust me, they are grateful. Very, very grateful. But they, you are a stranger. 
so they actually do not owe you goodwill. They have a duty, most of them would fulfill that duty, but we can also recognize how that duty can be paid off financially. And so when they are able to, they do exactly that. So I was just looking for ways to relate this also to romantic relationships. And I think I'm almost there. When I'm there, you would know because I would have been done with the essay on love and goodwill. I don't know whether that's going to be the title, but if you want to know, follow me on Twitter, Daniel Briggs. Follow me on Instagram, also Daniel Briggs. And thank you so very much for listening. If you're on Spotify, remember to subscribe, turn on the notification, and give it a five-star. Pretty please. Pretty please. You'll have a good dream if you also share the link with people. Pretty please. La da la da la da la da. Our Lord Jesus is our da. La da la da la da la da. Our Lord Jesus is our Lord Jesus is our Lord Jesus is our Lord da. Hey, I follow the Lord da. Follow the Lord da. Follow the Lord da to heaven, to heaven. Follow the Lord, follow the Lord, follow the Lord da. Follow the Lord da to heaven. Follow the Lord da. Follow the Lord da. Follow the Lord da to heaven. Follow the Lord da. Follow the Lord da. Follow the Lord da to heaven. I have absolutely no idea why I did all of that, but.